Uh, now let's uh, turn our attention uh, to God's Word. Uh, we'll be looking at two passages, one from Romans 10 and the second from 1 Peter 2. Uh, let's open up to Romans 10, and we'll read verses 13 to 17, and then we'll skip to 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 12. This is God's Word. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him, call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, this is verses 9 to 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. We join with me in prayer once more. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are good to us and that you are gracious to us. We thank you that through your son Jesus, the great mediator and priest, we have one who draws near to us so that we may know your presence. We have one who is the very word flesh so that we may know you more deeply. And we have one who has given himself for the forgiveness of our sins, so we may draw near to you more closely. So, Father, we ask of these things as we sit under your word, that you would shape us, fashion us, equip us, so that we may be sent out into the harvest with the good news of Jesus that gives life and hope. We pray this in his name. Amen. The vision of Eternal Life Mission Church, if you look up here, this is what it says. The vision of Eternal Life Mission Church is to see God's kingdom come, His will be done in our homes, our communities, and the world. We covered the aspects of home, and now we have uh, enlarged the purview into our communities. As we've done so, we've talked a lot about deeds of justice, mercy, and how we are to live it out. The mission of Eternal Life Mission Church, if you look, is to make disciples who live out the gospel in word and deed. And so today, as we have our communities in the purview, we want to focus and ask, what does it mean to be a disciple in word as well as deed? 
So what does it look like for us to see God's kingdom come and his will be done in our communities around us, at our schools, at our workplaces, in the supermarkets, at the local gatherings? What does it mean to see God's kingdom come into those places as we live out what we believe in word and deed? One aspect of that is to proclaim the gospel. And so today our focus is the proclamation, the speaking of, the messaging, the heralding, the articulation of the good news of Jesus in our communities. Proclaiming the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I know a lot of times when we think about proclaiming, we think about it in the proper sense of preaching, and we think about it often in the context of doctrine and theology and precise wording as we find in the catechisms or the confessions. But I want us to think more intimately, subjectively even, and practically that it can also mean that we share the good news in such a way that as we've experienced it, we can tell others about it. So, so the proclamation isn't just done in a vacuum-sealed explanation of doctrines and theology neatly packed so that it sounds very religious and ethereal, but proclamation, as we're going to address it today, can be a very intimate, personal sharing of God's grace in our lives because of Jesus. Now, when I use the word proclamation, when I talk about proclaiming the good news in our communities, what probably often comes to mind are two things on the spectrum here and probably on the extreme. Uh, Some things that might come to mind is we see people with megaphones or on the street corner saying, repent, you perverse generation, repent. And oftentimes we find them in, no offense, New York, but we think of that, people shouting, making you feel uncomfortable. Even as a Christian, you're like, oh my goodness, man, it's not the way to do it. Right? Or we think of the Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on your door, well-dressed, polite. May we come into your home and tell you the good news of our God. And often we say, no. You shall not pass. Or we think about the Korean supermarkets or the Asian supermarkets where the church groups are gathered singing songs of praise asking everyone, giving out tracts, do you go to church? Do you go to church? And all you want to do is just get the dumpling wrappers that your wife sent you because you ran out. And they're saying, do you, do you go to church? And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I do. I just, I just need to go get some wrappers. And they're like, you shall not pass. They're like, do you go to church? Do you go? Yes. One time that happened to me, and I said yes. And they're like, oh, where do you go to church? I go to your church. <laughs> I go to the same church. Oh, and then, you know, the person, out, one, of the, one of the college students I was with, um, she's very funny, so she pointed out to the lady that I'm actually a pastor of the church that I attend, and they're like, oh, oh, and then eyes of judgment, what are you doing here on a Sunday? I'm picking up dumpling wrappers. Or, on the other spectrum, when we talk about proclaiming the gospel in our communities, we often think about it in the less dramatic ways, and some of us most often probably function in this way, that we try to be pretty quiet, well-mannered, moral, ethical people, so that whoever may see us, we don't ever have to speak a word, but they just know, you know, there's something, there's something about that Walt. Gosh, he's just, so, he's just so joyful every day. 
It's got to be this Jesus I've heard about. It must be him affecting his life. Without ever saying a word, we often think that we can simply live it out and that that would be enough. But I think even in that aspect, as true as it may be, there are some aspects that fall short. And so as we go into the message today, I don't want to simply give us three steps of proclaiming the gospel in our communities, but I want to offer us a framework. Because more often than not, many of us go back and forth on these spectrums. And so what I want to do is look at the relationship between various aspects here. So if you look, we'll look at the relationship between the priest and the people, and then we'll look at portraying and proclaiming, and lastly, we'll look at the relationship between home and harvest. So first, the priest and the people, the distinction and the similarities. Look with me in 1 Peter 2.9, and your Bibles are up here on the screen. This is what it says, and you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I want to ask a few questions here as we think about that. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Peter's not writing to a bunch of pastors at a pastor's conference. He's writing to the church. This scripture here, you are a royal priesthood, isn't talking about this guy and that guy. It's talking about all of us here. You are a royal priesthood. So what does that mean? Well, first, I think we've got to ask, what, what is a priest? What was the Old Testament priest? The role of the Old covenant priests was to offer up sacrifices to God for the sins of the people. They were mediators, right, between a holy God and a sinful people. If I can boil it down in the most simplest way, what the priests of the Old Testament did were that they mediated the knowledge of God, the presence of God, and the forgiveness of God so that people could draw near. This was the role of the pastor. I'm sorry. This is the role of the mediator, to mediate the, I'm sorry, I keep, I keep jumbling. This is the role of the priest in the Old Testament. To mediate the knowledge of God, the presence of God, and the forgiveness of God. But one thing I do want to point out, that in this Old Testament structure, right, we've learned, we've gone through Leviticus, that they do all these various and specific things to make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, and all these many complex and specific directions that the priest had to follow to mediate, we also find built in this structure is the hope that this isn't the way it's always going to be. What do I mean by that? Look at Exodus 19, 5 through 6. This is what it says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So built here, even in the Old Testament paradigm of the role of a priest, although at that time, in that old covenant, the priest was the sole group of people who mediated the knowledge of God, the presence of God, and the forgiveness of God, we're told also that in the future, in the coming days, that there is going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. It's anticipating, it's foretelling the day when there won't just be a a priestly order of a specific group, but that the whole believing people of God will be seen as a kingdom of priests. And that's what 
Peter is touching upon here. So then, do we need a priest in the new covenant is the question. If this is how the old covenant priests function, what happens now in light of Jesus? I want to give you two spots in Hebrews. And by the way, here's a great homework assignment. Look at Hebrews with the lens of Jesus being the great priest who mediates for us. Read through Hebrews. It, 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 just, it just fleshes out how, how exact and intimate and, 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 and far-reaching Jesus' coming is and how it pertains to how he really mediates for us. But look, first place I want to point out, Hebrews 7, 22 to 25. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests, the Old Testament priests, there were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. What it's saying is the Old Testament priests were human. They couldn't continue in their office because at some point they died. They couldn't carry out their responsibilities. But Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 10, 11 to 12, we'll say the same thing in a, in a slightly different way. And every priest stands daily at his service. Again, here, referring to the Old Testament priest. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. The lamb, the cow, the grains, right? The same thing over and over and over and over again. Which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, meaning himself... After he offered his once-for-all sacrifice as a priest, what did he do? He didn't continue to stand giving the same sacrifices. He sat down at the right hand of God where he makes intercessions continually. So what we're being told is here, the, in the Old Testament, the priest had the specific role to mediate the knowledge, the presence, and the forgiveness of God. In the New Testament, as we look at Jesus, he is the final priest who for all people, once for all, having given up himself for the sins of many, is the mediator for you and I of the knowledge of God, the presence of God, and the forgiveness of God. And this is why we say Jesus is the word of God made flesh so that we may know him and know God more intimately. This is why we read the word of God. This is why Jesus came down, was born a man, to be incarnate so that he can be Emmanuel, God with us, so that we may know the presence of God. This is why Jesus, as he comes, does his earthly ministry, ultimately goes to the cross to sacrifice himself so that by his blood we would have the forgiveness of God. Jesus is the ultimate and final priest and mediator. What does it mean then for you and I as we think about this phrase, a royal priesthood? It means that anyone, listen here, it means that anyone who is united to Jesus by faith then shares in his priestly access and intimacy 
and personal relationship with God. This means that anyone who believes in Jesus, just as he has this direct access and can call God Father, you and I have that direct access as well, like priests, to go right to God. This is why we say the veil was torn in the temple. There is no more separation or distinction between priest and people. In fact, all God's people who are in Christ are basically now like priests who have direct access to God, who can come because of Jesus and be in God's presence, who can come because of Jesus and know God more intimately, who can come and receive forgiveness where sin and guilt is taken away because of Jesus. I want to make this distinction really clear because pastors are not any more priests than anyone else in the congregation who is a believer. What do I mean by that? Pastors, we don't have any more secret or, 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 or larger access. We don't have VIP access to God. Our access to God, even as pastors, is the same as every believer who trusts in Jesus. Now, now before, you, before you let me go and, and increase the budget items for next year, so before you fire the pastors, the pastors, teaching elders, ruling elders, these, it is necessary because their role is to make sure that we proclaim true and right gospel. But, 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 but what I'm trying to get at here is the priestly aspect, the mediation, the ability to just go to God with whatever you're struggling with, with whatever you need, no matter how, how deep in your sin you are, is the same one step for everyone. So I, I think that should be encouraging because if you're struggling... You don't have to go through this complex way of reaching out to the pastors or someone who's really holy, who, who might you know, know more than you so that you can find some, some access and some, and some interesting and very intriguing way to, to be near God. This means that there isn't a mystical or secretive three-step process in being right at God's presence. It means if you believe in Jesus, you have every right to be with God, whether it's in your living room, your bedroom, your prayer closet here at church. And practically, this means that you, as a royal priesthood, have every right and authority and ability, check this out, to be a mediator for others in sharing the knowledge of God, the presence of God, and the forgiveness of God. What I'm trying to say here is that you all who believe in God have all that you need to proclaim the gospel in your communities. Because if you are united to Jesus in faith, you share in the priesthood that we all do. And you are able to, like Jesus, draw near to them, the people with his presence. You're able to share the knowledge of God. You're able to proclaim even forgiveness if they would come to Christ. What I'm trying to do simply is to empower and encourage every believer here, whether you are new to the faith or old to the faith, 
that you have all that you need in Jesus to be able to proclaim the good news. The pastors, I try to think of an illustration. This is the best I could come up with. We're like waiters at a buffet. We're necessary, but everyone is able to go to the table themselves. Sometimes we have to get you a drink and a refill, encourage you. But everyone has access to the buffet table of God's grace. Now, one thing I'll note, access is the same for all. But if we're honest, deepening in the knowledge of who Jesus is is important. And perhaps that's why sometimes there feels like there's some kind of hierarchy or, or, or level of ability. But friends, yes, people who have been trained in seminary, people who know theology and doctrine, yes, they have a deeper understanding of who God is. But that ability to learn and deepen in that knowledge is available for all believers. You are a royal priesthood. The people are the priest. You are the priests of Christ. So then what are we called to do? Proclaiming and portraying our second point. Look at First Peter with me again here. Now that we've understood what a royal priesthood means, I want to use that momentum now and quickly go through some of the other aspects. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So why has God chosen us? Why are we a royal priesthood in Christ? So that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. It doesn't say that you can proclaim the excellencies of him with amazing theological or doctrinal precision, though that's important. Or it doesn't say so that you may proclaim his excellencies in the original biblical language, though it's useful. It also doesn't say so that you may proclaim the excellencies of God through supernatural stories and miracles, although they are compelling. This is the point I'm trying to get at. It says so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's trying to get to your experience, your testimony, how you've encountered Christ, how you've been saved by him, so that when we're talking about proclaiming the gospel in our communities, it's not simply declaring, Jesus Christ lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I should have died, and was raised on the third day. That's true. That's accurate. But you yelled that on the street corner. I wonder how many people are going to come to church and believe in him. What it's saying is, so that you can proclaim his excellencies in the ways that he has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. What this means is that when we're proclaiming the gospel, yes, it's important to be doctrinally and theologically accurate and true. But the mode in which we do it is through relational communication. It's to share, like, you know what, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know when I just say Jesus 
live for me, die for me, and rose again for me in a vacuum. It doesn't have much bearing on our lives and our conversation. But the reason why I say that is because personally, I really was in a dark place. I did have an understanding of what sin meant, and I was struggling, and I kept going back to it, and I was stuck. And I started to go to church, and I started to read the Bible. As I talked to my friends who were Christians, they, and, and the more I learned about what, what Jesus did and what that means for me, you know, it really changed my worldview, my perspective. And I realized that I, I don't have to be guilty or ashamed for anymore for X, Y, and Z, the stuff I do. I realized I do have freedom in him. I realized that knowing Jesus is so precious and so amazing and that, that it's a relationship that continues to grow and flourish. I also know that I'm not perfect. And that even though I continue to mess up, I might stumble again that there is forgiveness in Christ. Right there, right, right. What, what, what Peter is encouraging us is, is not simply just shout out doctrine, right? Don't simply just go proclaiming truth in a vacuum. But share it in a way where you're vulnerable in it. You're sharing Christ's excellencies in the ways that he's worked in your life to call you out of darkness and into light. More often than not, that, those are the things, those conversations, those little moments at work or at happy hour or over the phone or in a lunch meeting or at a date, those are the things that really that type of mediation is often the way that people huh, all right, then tell me more, right? We do have to proclaim, but I think we can rethink a little bit. It doesn't always have to be preaching, proclaiming proper from the pulpit, although it's important. It can be proclaiming his excellencies in a very deeply experiential way that you and I all have. And I love as our praise leader just encouraged us to think about that time when we've met Jesus. It's important to remember those moments. It's important to share those moments. And as we go into our third point, it's, it's important to have opportunities to share those moments. Right? We're not just living in this seclusion, in this monastery-like group, right? We're called to also go out. He continues, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. It's assuming that we're living among non-believers as well. That our community isn't just the church, although that should be the main and central and core community, but that we're also in the community broad among non-believers. And in that context, we're encouraged to keep our conduct honorable. What does this mean? Honorable, the word here used, is trying to get at this idea of an outward sign of an inward good. Something noble, worthy. Basically what it's trying to say is keep your conduct among the Gentiles honest to what you believe. Basically it's getting at authenticity. It's saying don't proclaim the excellencies of Christ who called you out of darkness and into light and then live in such a way where it completely contradicts. Now between that, I do want to say, yes, you have room to grow where we mess up, we stumble. It doesn't make us a hypocrite. But I think what makes us a hypocrite is we proclaim, we say we believe in these things, and then we live in such a way that it makes no difference to our lives. What we're seeing here in Peter is that we ought to live not simply 
just proclaiming, but proclaiming in such a way that we are also portraying God's grace. In our culture, we often find one extreme or the other, right? Don't say it, show it. Or my, my high school coach's favorite line, don't talk about it, be about it. And on the other side, we say, do as I say, not as I do. But it has to be both. If you only proclaim, but you never portray, you're a hypocrite. If you only portray, and you don't proclaim, I don't know what you are. I couldn't find a nice, but you're a mime. If you only portray, but you never actually say, people might just think you're a good person. Right? The goal of a Christian isn't just to be a good person. The hope of the Christian is that in Christ, although we are not good people, we are made good every day. The last, and quickly, the relationship I want to look at is the home and harvest. Romans 10, 13 to 15, look up with me. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Again, Paul isn't writing to a pastor's conference. This is a letter to the church. The primary goal of coming to church is to worship God. But the natural consequences of coming to church, of gathering, is so that we can scatter. If this is home base, the goal is to get back to the harvest and then come back to home base and then go back to the harvest. So many of us think that, 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 that the sole goal for a Christian is simply to come to church. And we put so much in attendance. Attendance is important. Yes, coming to church is important, but it's like, oh, I can't get to church today. I can't get, I'm trying to get back to church. The COVID pandemic is like, oh, I'm trying to come out more. And we, 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 we act as if being a Christian is all about how many times or how often you come to church. But that's incomplete. That's, I don't, I don't, that's almost, that's barely based. Coming to church is a given. After coming to church, the hope is that we will be sent out into the harvest. After coming to the home base, is so that we can be encouraged, equipped, and challenged now to go out to the harvest where the workers are few. Some of us are so heavenly focused that we're of no earthly use. And, and, and Alistair Begg, who I listen to often, says something to this effect often. He says, he says, some of us are so heavenly focused, all about the church and only church community, that we're of no use to earthly work. And on the other side, some of us are so focused on earthly things, we're of no heavenly use. There needs to be a balance. We should be both coming to home base and going out to the harvest. And then coming back to home base to be sent back out to the harvest. There is this relationship between our home base, our church community, and going out into the harvest where we proclaim his excellencies. As we work, build relationship, live life in our communities, this is the place where we draw our strength, our hope. We're reminded one day out of the seven. But six out of the seven days, we're in the harvest. We're working. We're working at our jobs, of course. We're working to meet ends meet. But we're working to hopefully share 
the gospel, to proclaim it to a friend, a family member. There's a song, No Earthly Good, by Johnny Cash. I'm too young, I haven't really listened to him, but you know, everyone knows the name Johnny Cash. It has the ring to it. And he takes this idea and, and he writes this song, No Earthly Good, and this is what he says. You're shining your light and shine it you should, but you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think this is a, a challenging thing to digest as a Christian that, yeah, we should be heavenly minded. We should be very focused on church. We should try to be in the community of the church. We should come to Bible studies. We should do all these things. Not because that's what it means to be a Christian, not because that's the, that the end goal, but we do those things. We're heavenly, our mindsets are heavenly so that when we go into the earth, we can see God's kingdom come and his will be done in our communities. You see, we've got to stop compartmentalizing all of the aspects of our lives. The call for a Christian is to come here to home base, be encouraged, be equipped, be challenged, and to be sent out into the harvest. Why? So that others may come in and join the royal priesthood. What, 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 what good is a kingdom full of priests that just celebrate on their own if they don't go out and mediate the knowledge, the presence, and the forgiveness of Christ in intimate and personal ways as they've experienced it and tasted themselves. All of you who believe are a royal priest. I'm going to do something real cheesy. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, turn to the person next to you and say, you're a royal priest. I know, it's, if it's such a struggle to do it here at church, how are you going to do it in the harvest? Come on! The point I'm trying to make is you don't have to always try to connect them to some holy, mystical person. Or it's, it isn't that complex or difficult. If you believe in Jesus and your desires to know more intimately, then you have every ability, authority, to go to others, to mediate God's knowledge, his presence, and his forgiveness. And as I close, I want to give you a quick reminder. A reminder that when we conclude our Sunday worship service, that worship doesn't end, but now worship continues as we go out. When we receive the benediction, it's an encouragement to know that God, as he gives his final word through the benediction, he's equipping you and he's encouraging you and he's challenging you now to go into the harvest so that, as Romans says, you are sent to preach so that they may hear and believe so that they can call and be saved. The reason we gather here Yes, is to be reminded of who we are in Jesus. Yes, is to worship God. But it's so that we can then also go out and be sent into the harvest to preach so that those who do not know Jesus would hear. So after hearing that they would believe, and after believing, they would call on him and be saved. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners, hangs the lamb in victory. 
See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold. Bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured. Love untold. Join me in prayer.